My name is Tracy Carpenter and I'm a member with Restored Church. If you're new, welcome. We are glad that you tuned in. We believe that the church is a family and not just an event, and so we would love to connect with you. Uh, there are a few ways that you can do that. The first being um, through our website, which is www.restoredtemecula.church, um, and then click on contact. We also have a mobile app that you can get in the Apple or the Android app stores, and through that app you can see past um, messages, upcoming events, and other ways for us to connect. Um, so with all that said, we hope you enjoy the message. All right. My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm going to start my timer, and I want to welcome you to our Sunday morning gathering. Uh, if you are new, we have been in a series called Priesthood, where we've been really focusing on restoring our priestly identity. We really feel like God has called us to, to remember and to embrace in a fresh way what it means to be a priesthood of believers. And so we've spent several weeks working through that uh, together. And this week I'm really excited because I feel like I want to basically begin to connect the dots between, not that we haven't yet, but in like a, a very kind of explicit way to, to really connect the dots between like our priesthood and our discipleship. What it looks like to, to follow Jesus as disciples, followers, followers of Jesus, who are constantly bringing him offerings of praise and sacrifice, and really our whole entire lives to him. So I'm going to invite you to join me as I pray, and then uh, we'll go ahead and dive in to this morning's message. Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for this morning. I want to thank you that it's all about your son. It's about him. Life is about him. We're here because of him. We have life because of him. And our lives matter because he's, he's here. He's, he's in us. He's moving through us. And we've, we have the privilege of knowing him and inviting others to know him. And so I pray today, God, that you would speak uh, to each of us, that you would speak through me, that you would speak, even despite me, to every individual in the room and anybody else who's listening in uh, later on, because your gospel, your, your good news is for everyone. And it's, it's not like an add-on to life, it is life itself. May that come through this morning. God, we love you and we thank you. So let me pray. Amen. I want to start off with a question, and this is, this is for the sake of participation. It's not rhetorical. So I'll ask it, and then you will answer, please. Okay? Uh, when you think, when you, when you, when the people who don't belong to the church hear the word like Christian, what sorts of thoughts do you think come up in their minds? What words might they use to describe Christians or Christianity or following Jesus? Uh, hypocrite, religious. Okay, one at a time. Hypocrite, religious. I thought I heard Reuters. It's a news service. Annoying. Great. Unfair. Judgmental. Good. So exclusively negative. <laughs> we need a. That's a little. That sucks. <clears throat> which has actually done a lot of good in the world. Um, cool. Uh, when, when, you think, when, when you hear the word discipleship, what do you think people that don't know Jesus or, or are not part of the church think? They might not know, right? It might just be an unknown. An unknown to them. So we've used like exclusively negative and then also like blank stares in terms of what, what it actually means to follow Jesus. 
So they have a, a pretty strong idea that, that Christianity kind of is, um, how do you put it, kind of sucks, and that Christians sort of suck too, um, and that following Jesus, whatever it is, it's a mystery, but it's not good. Fair to say? Yeah. We in agreement on that? Okay. Like Jesus, okay, yeah. Yeah, Jesus seems cool, I like him, just don't like his followers or anything to do with him. I like you, I just don't like your wife. <clears throat> We've all been there, right? Just kidding. Everybody loves my wife, actually. It's me that they're not sure about. Uh, so, so here's what I want to do this morning. I want to propose to you guys uh, a new word. I think a word that's more biblical, uh, that a word that I think captures the heartbeat of discipleship. It's the word adventure. Adventure. Nobody said adventure. You've got some work to do. Because it's hard. It's hard if you, if you read the New Testament. It's hard not to think of the great adventure stories it's hard not to draw parallels on things like the Lord of the Rings, right? These great adventure stories. What are some other adventure stories in our culture that people love? Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones. Fantastic. Literally the same time. Back to the future, Tom. I'm pretty sure that I will be driving a time machine DeLorean in the new creation. That is my, if I'm not flying, I'm driving it. So... It's daring. There's an advent, a sense of adventure, and we love that stuff, right? We absolutely love it. What if we felt the same way about following Jesus? What if it was this great adventure story, this daring thing? Not boring, not hypocritical, not dry, not dumb, but daring. I want you guys to turn with me over to Mark 3, 13 to 19. Mark 3, 13 to 19. I'm going to read to you some very well-known words. Well, for some of us, they'll be pretty familiar. For some of you, they might not be. That's totally okay. And what I'm going to be reading to you, Mark is a, it's one of the biographies of Jesus' life. There's four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, they all have a slightly different focus, but they're all telling essentially the same story about Jesus. And one of the most beautiful parts of the life of Jesus, we're going to see it right now in these words. I'm going to read them to you. Invite you to, to turn over there in your Bible, or if not, we have them up on the screen. Mark 3, 13 and 19 says, say, Jesus went up to the mountain and summoned those he wanted. Stop. <laughs> Do you guys see this? Do you, okay. This is Jesus. Yeshua, he's the, he's the, he is the incarnation of God in the world. And he says, it says about him that he wanted people. Okay? We live in a world that is overcome with anxiety and depression and suicide, right, and all that stuff. But the word of God says that God wants people. That's reality. Now, I'm not saying that we experience reality as it really is, but I'm saying that's, that's reality. What does that tell you about your worth? Because you meet these guys and you're like, why did he want them? Yeah, you, you know, oh, three of you are laughing because you've recently read the, the Gospels. Uh, I invite you to read them regularly because these guys are, it, how do you even describe them? They're a hot mess, absolute hot mess. But he wanted them. 
And then they came to him. Verse 14, he appointed 12 of them, whom he also named apostles to be with him. And here's the key, to be with him, to send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. He appointed the 12. Uh, to Simon, he gave the name Peter. Jesus actually gave people nicknames, which is kind of cool. If you have typically, like, we all have a friend or two that are really good with nicknames. Jesus was, a guy, was one of those. Like, he just came up with good nicknames. So he gave Simon the name Peter, and to James, the son of Zebedee, and to his brother John, he gave the name Boanerges, that is, Sons of Thunder, greatest nickname ever, because they literally tried to call down thunder and lightning and hail and fire on people. It had to do with their anger that needed to be transformed. So Jesus had a sense of humor. Sons of Thunder. Verse 18, Andrew, Philip, and Bartholomew, Matthew, and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, which I can't get into this, but you have a tax collector and a zealot in this group that Jesus called, people that would, uh, a Republican and a Democrat, like the farthest, farthest right and the farthest left, imagine putting them in a group together and being like, come follow me. Yeah, I'm not saying there's a one-for-one correlation, but I'm trying to give you an idea of what in our culture would make sense. Uh, what is it? Antifa and who's on the right? Proud Boys. Come and follow me. Does this... We need to be reading this. This is staggering, stunning stuff. I'm, I'm running out of words. Antifa and Proud Boys, come and follow me. So imagine you're, the, you're part of the first people who are hearing the gospel. Pre- this, was, this stuff was read to people. They, they would sit in a circle and listen or whatever. Antifa and Proud Boys. This is stunning. Did I finish reading it? I must have. Okay. We'll keep going. Okay, so what, number one, I want to have a point. This is all go, oh, wow, very important. Last but not least, Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. So just imagine sitting there, hearing this gospel proclaimed for the first time, Antifa, proud boys, and then a traitor. And it's not one of these guys. <laughs> Studying. Okay, let's go. Point number one. I'm going to pick up the face here. What is the daring call to discipleship? Point number one, what is the daring call to discipleship? If you're a note taker, here's your opportunity. What is the daring call to discipleship? It's to draw near to Jesus, declare him, and demonstrate him. Okay, and where did I get that from? Uh, literally the text we just read. Okay, I just, I like to alliterate. To draw near, to declare, and to demonstrate. So that's really the invitation Now, if you keep reading the Bible, what's interesting, especially if you keep reading Mark, which I did this week, that's literally declaration and demonstration. Jesus, that's what he did. And he would draw near to God, and then out of that space of being close to him, he would go out and and speak with power, and then he would cleanse people who were afflicted by, by demons or disease. That's what he did. So he's basically telling the disciples, what I do, you do. Stay close to me. What I do, you do. Pretty amazing stuff. Again, these guys were a hot mess, but this is what he wanted for them. So I want to talk to you guys um, about something that I think is, it really stood out to me. I spent, I read through the Gospel of Mark this week. I spent a lot of time in it. And if you read the Gospel of Mark, one of the things that will pop off the page, and I, unfortunately I can't get into all of it right now, but that call to discipleship, do you know what the context of it is? It's Jesus having trouble with people. It's constant conflict. Like he goes to places and he's got problems with, everyone have problems with him, I should say. 
And he does have problems with people too. Uh, so one of the things that, that really stood out to me is this idea of danger. This, this call to discipleship, to draw near to Jesus, to declare him and to demonstrate him, it comes out of a space of significant opposition and, and danger and conflict. So I want to talk to you guys this morning. This is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. I mean, this could literally be a series. I could spend one message on drawing near, one message on declaring, and one on demonstrating. But I want, to, I want to focus this morning primarily on the things that will keep us from this, the dangers that we face, which were the same dangers that Jesus' disciples faced. So point number two, what dangers do we face in this daring call to discipleship? Number one, when we draw near to him, well, the dangers that we would draw near to him but distrust him. The dangers that we would, one of the dangers that we would draw near to him but distrust him. Uh, Mark chapter 8, verses 14 to 21 illustrate this, I think, in a really uh, powerful way. So if you know anything about Jesus, he loves to do miracles, and there's a lot of symbolism in these miracles, but he's like multiplying bread and fish. And he had, he, so the disciples had seen this happen. Okay, so imagine, uh, I remember a story, that there was a guy that I knew who went to Africa on a missions trip, and he said that during that missions trip, I think they had like Kentucky Fried Chicken buckets. I don't know why they were eating that in Africa, uh, but they were. And he said, you'll never believe this, but we ran out of food, or so we thought, and it multiplied. And it multiplied. Like literally the chicken just kept coming. <laughs> now you might be like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And that's fine. You don't have to believe this story. But I will let you know that Jesus did stuff like that in his life. Now, KFC didn't exist. Too bad for them. Those biscuits. Am I right? You guys know what I'm talking about. Whatever. But Jesus did that. And so here's, here's these disciples who have seen him multiply fish and bread. And listen to what happens to them. Verse 14, at one point in their life and ministry with Jesus, they had forgotten to take bread, and they only had one loaf with them in the boat that they were in. And then Jesus gave them strict orders. So he's, he's now giving them a warning. Hey, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Okay, so he's giving them a warning. This is a warning of the, the kind of corrupting influence of these people at that time. And then the, it says they were discussing among themselves that they did not have any bread. So they think he's talking about bread. And he's literally talking about the corrupting influences of people who don't want him and reject him. But that look religious on the outside. They were discussing this among themselves. They didn't have any bread. Aware of this, he said to them, why are you talking about bread? Don't you understand or comprehend? Do you have hardened hearts? And this is something you read Mark over and over again, it comes up. And it's not just the, the, the Pharisees and other people who are clearly opposed to Jesus that have hardened hearts. It's the disciples. It's literally everybody. Do you have hardened hearts? They don't understand. Do you have eyes and not see? Do you have ears and not hear? And do you not remember? Jesus says a lot of things in the Gospels. Uh, sometimes he says things that kind of hurt and this is one of those moments where he's talking to disciples and it's sort of like, this, this hurts. But he never just says things that hurt just to hurt us. He says things that hurt so that we will experience healing. 
so that we'll recognize our own condition. And so these disciples have hardened hearts, and he's like, don't you see you're here? I'm not talking about bread. (laughs) Do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of leftovers did you collect? And they all say, 12. When I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you collect? Seven. And he said to them, don't you understand yet? Don't you understand yet? So here's what I'm saying. Why am I bringing this up? We're talking about dangers in our discipleship, right? These guys were close to Jesus, but they were concerned about other things. They were filled with worry and anxiety and fear. And as I was chewing on this and reflecting on this passage, what hit me was that they couldn't connect the dots between Jesus' power and their present need. There was a disconnect between the two. And what filled that gap was distrust. Distrust is what filled that gap. They were invited to draw near, but because their hearts were hardened, they didn't trust the Messiah. Okay, that's the first danger that we face. And this is for everybody. (laughs) This isn't just for Jesus' disciples, this is for us today. I don't know how many times in my life I have, Jesus could have told me like, don't you understand or comprehend? I remember once uh, we were in a really, really tight spot um, and we, I guess I'm getting in, I was going to share some of my kind of journey today with you guys, um, but the call to follow Jesus for us has involved taking like significant steps of faith. Uh, they haven't always made sense on paper. And so when we, when we came up here to Temecula, uh, one of the things that didn't make sense on paper was that living in Uptown in, in San Diego, you could actually walk everywhere pretty much. Like I, lit, I didn't even need a car. I remember I bought a about a clunker and it broke down. Heather knows what I'm talking about. And it was like, okay, cool, I'll just walk. That doesn't work here, apparently. Uh, some places don't even have sidewalks. It's like sometimes the sidewalks just end and I was like, who was planning this? <laughs> was there planning? Or clearly like the, everyone is, riding, is driving or riding scooters or something, but I didn't have that. And so we were at a spot where we were like, how are we gonna do this? Clearly we need, we need two cars. And we just, we, it just wasn't, it wasn't in the, it didn't make sense on paper. And I remember uh, the day when uh, Andy Rogers, who's the pastor of Uptown, uh, pulled up to our, we had a little driveway and I could see his car pulling up. I was like, oh, I wonder why Andy's here. We weren't planning anything that day. We weren't planning to have a conversation. But uh, basically, like, he's like, that car that's on the driveway, it's yours. And he dropped the keys in my hand. And so we had like, exactly what we needed. Uh, so that we could come here and be a part of the disciple-making mission of this church. And why am I telling you that story? Because I've distrusted the Messiah since, with respect to his provision. So this is, this is a very personal thing for me, that I know I'm invited to draw near, and all of you are invited to draw near to him, but just know there's going to be distrust along the way. That is a danger to your discipleship and mine. Okay, second thing, second danger that we face, and these are... These are dangers that we face inside ourselves. It's to declare the message, but to discount it. To declare the message, but to discount it. So these dudes were, by the way, this might feel like foreign to some of you. I guess it's just like, I just need to say this because it, it may not be obvious. What I'm doing right now is called preaching. Uh, you are listening, hopefully. Uh, and that's, this is kind of how this works, right? 
I preach and you listen and then we respond and all that stuff. I think that what Jesus is talking about here, certainly this applies, but I think it's much broader too. Uh, that's why I use the word to declare rather than preach. Because there's some of you who, many of you will never do this. And by the way, that is okay. This is not for everyone. It's, it's not as glamorous as it appears. Now, I recently heard somebody talking about preaching, and they're like, oh, it's like coming up with a keynote every week. And it's like speakers come up with one keynote, and then they share that all over the world, right? Imagine having to come up with a keynote speech every week about Jesus and his power. This is not for everyone, and that's okay. I'm not saying this for pity. I'm literally just giving you an understanding of what this is. With that said, you are called to proclaim Jesus. Whether it's to your children, your coworkers, people at your school, to yourself, you're going to need, you're going to need that too. You are called to proclaim him. Okay, but I want you to know that there is a danger here that's exhibited in the disciples in the Gospel of Mark, which is to declare a message that you then discount after the fact. Let me give you the verses here. Mark 8, this is just two verses. I'm going to share this with you very, very quickly. Mark 8, 31 to 33. What's fascinating about the Gospel of Matthew is, again, I tried to listen, the Gospel of Mark, I tried to listen to it as though I had never read it before. So I just want you to imagine being someone 2,000 years ago, sitting down, listening to somebody read this to you, because you're probably illiterate, you can't read. Somebody's reading this to you and you're hearing this stuff. Guess what doesn't pop off the page of the first eight chapters? It's that Jesus is going to clearly die. Like he's talking about stuff, but it's not necessarily obvious to the disciples at that point. So there comes a point in time in his ministry where he does make that evident. Verse 31, chapter 8, verse 31. Uh, he began to teach them, the disciples, that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and to be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and then rise after three days. And then he started talking about this openly. Peter took him aside. So Peter, just so you know, Peter's the guy who got the, the right answer on the theological uh, quiz of like, who do, they, who do you say that I am? Peter said, I am the, he, he said, you're the Christ. He got it right. Then this happened. He's, Jesus spoke openly about the fact that he was going to die. Okay? He, he, it, was, it was on the open now. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Do with that what you will. Rebuking Jesus. Turning around and looking at his disciples. So in other words, this isn't what, he, what Jesus is about to say isn't just for Peter, it's for everybody. He rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> you are not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. <laughs> you just nailed the theological quiz, but you failed whatever this is. Yikes. Okay. Um, as, I've as I've reflected on this this week, uh, I think what, part of what's going on here is that Peter is basically trying to have Jesus, and it's not just Peter. Again, he turned to all the disciples and said this. I think Peter, what he wants and what they wanted was to conform Jesus into their image. And Jesus is saying, I'm conforming you into mine. I'm not submitting to your plan and agenda. You're submitting to mine. 
And so the message which, which Peter had declared and was going to declare, he discounted it by trying to make it make sense. When Jesus is like, I'm trying to make sense of you, brother. So anyway, that's, that's, that's the reality. Like we could, we could actually declare a message that we then discount because we try to make it make it make sense to us and smooth it out. Last thing, the danger that we face inside is that we can demonstrate but deny the method. We can demonstrate the message but deny the method. Okay. Here's the way of Jesus in a nutshell. You guys ready for this? Mark chapter 8, verse 34. This is right after he rebuked Peter slash Satan. He said, calling the crowd along with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? What can anyone give in exchange for his life? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So Jesus knows what the dangers are that we face. We face a real danger of adopting kind of like a human way to pursue Jesus or making this make sense to us. But he's saying like, whatever makes sense to you, Peter, you gotta lay that aside to actually embrace the real me because the me that you're trying to follow is not the real me. You wanted a, a Messiah that would come and overthrow Rome. It, was, it may, have, may have had more to do with power than the actual presence of God, which was, he was born into weakness. He was born into a, the most humble state you could possibly imagine. He became a baby. If you don't remember what it's like to be a baby, I don't either. But I have had three. So my memory has been jogged. Yep, thanks. Thanks, Tracy. Uh, it's really, it's not great, eh? It's like wiping butts and um, it smells, constant smells, constantly opening the window in the house. because You know what I mean? Like it's, it's just, it's not, it's, it's very humble. I'll just put it that way. And Jesus humbled himself. He became totally dependent on Mary and a stepdad, Joseph, and he embraced ridicule. Uh, he embraced shame. Like he was born in a situation that would have had insane like social stigma, like a negative stigma. Uh, Mary got pregnant before she was married, in a sense, and it was by the Holy Spirit. But people didn't know that or believe that. So imagine Jesus, like he grew up in this situation where people would have laughed at him, mocked him, ridiculed him growing up. There would have been whispers like, oh, there's Jesus. He's this, he's that. And he did that for us. He did that to save us. And then he went to a cross where he endured like the worst suffering imaginable. Imagine having nails driven through your hands and through your feet. Imagine slowly like asphyxiating to death. Naked. Ashamed. Right? Like, he did that so he could save us. He identified with us in our nakedness and our shame so that we could be covered and clothed. 
But if Jesus didn't deny himself, he would have never delivered us. So there's tremendous danger that we all face when it comes to following Jesus because everything inside is going to say, take the comfortable way out, right? Do what makes sense to you to prioritize comfort and, and our preferences rather than Jesus who said, there's a cross waiting for you if you want it. Man, like it's, it's an adventure. It's daring, but it is dangerous. It's dangerous. Uh, I wanna go through this really fast. Third point, I just talked about dangers that we face inside. There's also a bunch of dangers that we face outside of ourselves. And I don't have time to get into all of it, but literally this is all stuff that I chewed on and thought of and I alliterated reading the Gospel of Mark, okay? Yep. Did I have to do this? No. Did I enjoy doing this? Yes. So there's dangers that we face outside. This is stuff that Jesus faced himself. His, his disciples faced it, and guess what? You will too if you follow him. You ready for this? There's going to be people who try to deter you as you seek to follow him. There's going to be people who's already got an idea, an agenda, and they will try to impose that upon the plan that God may have for your life. For example, Jesus' family, believe it or not, this is a little bit controversial, I guess, if you're a Catholic or you grew up Catholic. Um, Mary, actually, I don't, let's set let's aside the controversy. It doesn't matter. Jesus' family actually thought he was nuts. You can read this in Mark. They thought he was crazy. They thought he was out of his mind, so they wanted to stop him. Okay, so, so Peter rebukes Jesus, and Jesus' family says, you're crazy. Okay, so there's going to be, from people close to you, opposition. I remember once, when I was, when I was a fairly new Christian, uh, I, was, I had some friends over from college, man, and I, I loved these friends. They were amazing. Uh, they weren't followers of Jesus, and I remember like I had experienced such a powerful life change that I was like, I got to tell my friends about this. And so I had them over. They, they came in from Arizona. They lived in Phoenix. And I remember sitting down, and these were friends that I've, I've known for years. And I remember uh, sitting in our living room and I started to, to open my mouth to share, this is who Jesus is. This is what he's done for me. And I was like, I was obviously nervous about it. I was excited. I don't know how they're going to respond to this. And what ended up happening was that one of my friends basically started to try to stop me and actually stop me from sharing Jesus because I was sharing Jesus with her boyfriend and she was concerned that if if, if I lead my friend to Jesus, that that will be the end of our relationship. And so I literally had friends deterring the work of declaring Jesus. And that, that happens. I'm sure you guys, if I, we go around the room, you've had, you probably have stories that are similar. There's, others will try to deter sometimes the work of God in your life or through your life, this, this daring adventure where you're just like, I can't wait to share Jesus, and then you hit a block. Uh, sometimes people will try to direct. Peter tried to direct Jesus away from the cross. Did you catch that? Literally, 
here's the will of God for, for Jesus' life, the cross, and Peter's like, take an off-ramp. So there's going to be people who try to direct you away from Jesus. There are people who will try to draw you away from Jesus. Uh, you could, sometimes in the Bible you see like false teachers. If you read the New Testament, you'll see that like pretty regularly. There's false teachers that teach things that aren't true about Jesus. Um, I remember once, uh, one of the most painful experiences in ministry I've ever had was a gospel community. Uh, if you're new, gospel communities are groups of, of men and women who follow Jesus together and their households. And I remember starting a gospel community. That's part of what we do. We start gospel communities, and we started gospel communities in San Diego. It's an enormous part of, part of our, our work. And I remember that there was a gospel community that I actually helped to start, and then I handed it off. And... During the time, the reason we handed it off was because Heather was pregnant and we just needed a, we needed a break. She was about to give birth to a baby. And they were, we thought that these people were ready to, to run with it. And it was a situation that spiraled very quickly. We almost had like a church split because the gospel community started to get divisive and started to... And it ended up, it ended up actually working out really well. But there were people who I felt like, I feel like these disciples that I invested in are being drawn away. And, and all, we've, all we've done is just call them to follow Jesus together. And, but something else, another agenda came in, and it started to draw people away. And I'm really grateful that we were able to recover several of the people that were being drawn away. And they repented. I, I was in their room, and they repented through tears of getting you know, drawn, drawn away. So the Lord had been really kind to us. But this kind of stuff happens. Uh, more D words, damage. You can expect damage along the way. Uh, I'll get into a little bit more of that. Um, big one here is disappointment. Uh, one of the things that, that disciples deal with, one of the dangers along the way is disappointment. Um, things often don't go the way you expect them to. In fact, they almost never do. And one of the biggest disappointments is the, sometimes the choices that people make. So I want you to think about Jesus, right? Did Jesus ever do anything wrong? Give the Orthodox Christian answer. No. Okay. I'm not saying that you have to believe that if you're here today, but that's the Orthodox Christian answer. I believe that, that that's true. Um, Jesus, he never sinned. He never misled anyone. He never lied. And yet, his disciples, when he needed them most, where did they go? They scattered. Right? Jesus knew all about disappointment. Um, the, the reality is, that's a part of following Jesus. There could be deception. Uh, I have seen, I've seen all of this, by the way. I've seen all of this in, in the church. Uh, deception, people disguised as disciples who then depart. Uh, Judas, Jesus let, dealt with this personally. And uh, Judas, I want to read you guys two quotes real quick. If you guys could throw out quote number one. I think this is really important. Whatever you believe about the Bible, here's, here's something that is Agreed upon, the Bible is brutally honest. You just got to read it. The Bible is brutally honest. It notes successes and failures. It has integrity in its reporting. Which I, I love that. Uh, Judas, and then it, it, it explains a little bit what it's talking about. Judas was chosen by our Lord to be with him. He didn't worm his way in. He would serve well for a while. He gave evidence of loyalty. He even served as a treasurer, though he was dishonest in his assignment. T-H-O. Did I text this to myself? I must have. LOL. So this is from, uh, from uh, whatever, commentary. So G uh, Judas is in the Bible. 
Okay, let's go to quote number two. Why is he in there? Well, here's a, here's a hypothesis that I really like. This is there, his story of Judas, the, the honesty that the Bible has about people is there to remind us that if you live long enough and serve long enough, you will be disappointed by people whom you love and who, whom you thought loved you. You would let them guard your back believing they would take a bullet for you only to discover the knife in your back has their prints on it. I have a feeling the person that wrote this has experienced this personally uh, because that is a picture that I've, it's hard to get out of my head. If you've followed Jesus long enough, this is part of the danger is that there's going to be people who depart. And Jesus actually, he tells us that's going to happen. If you read Mark again, I wish I had more time. This is like a series. I'm trying to do in a message. This is impossible. But Jesus tells us like, hey, there's different kinds of soil in the human heart. And there's, there's a certain kind of, of human heart that will ultimately depart when difficulties come. There's a certain kind of disciple that will not last, will not endure. And that could be highly damaging. So what's my point in saying all of this stuff? Both outside and inside, there are dangers that can derail our discipleship. There are. Dangers can derail our discipleship. We've, we've experienced all of this. Many of you have experienced all the things I'm talking about to one degree or another, especially if you have given your life over to following Jesus and partnering with him in his, in his mission. Now, I'm running out of time. I want to turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 to 15. We're almost done. What do we do with all this? There's obviously danger. I've spent quite a lot of time talking about it. We know that the best stories, the only reason the Lord of the Rings is interesting is because there's a lot of danger, right? The only reason Indiana Jones is interesting is because there's serpents and there's arrows and there's, you know, like it's danger that makes life interesting. And the, the, the danger that we face as disciples keeps things very interesting and keeps us dependent. Now, just because there's a lot of disappointment and there are people that leave, it doesn't mean that we don't have hope in the midst of this. And I want to present you with one sparkling example, and that's the Apostle Paul. Very quickly, if you don't know who the Apostle Paul is, uh, he was one of the early followers of Jesus who actually spent his life before he met Jesus, literally met Jesus, he spent his life killing Christians or having them killed. Uh, he was totally opposed to the way, which is what they called like, following Jesus back then. He was totally opposed to the way. Uh, but he had this encounter with Jesus where he got knocked off his horse, I think literally. And Jesus was like, what are you doing? And Paul was like, who are you? And I'm like, I'm, I'm Jesus. I'm God. And Paul was like, oh, oh, oh. Like it, he had spent his life talking about God, teaching about God, only to have an encounter with God and be like, who are you? <laughs> I, I guess I think it's funnier than you guys do. Like, <laughs> You don't see the irony in this? People who have devoted their life to serving God don't even know who he is. There's another danger, but here's Paul, and here's the good news. It doesn't, like the fact that there's danger, the fact that people depart, the fact that there's disappointment doesn't mean that there isn't incredible hope. I want to read these verses to you. This is from 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is actually Paul's last letter. 
And these are his final instructions. So this isn't quite like a deathbed scene, but it's something close, right? If you're going to impart to your children something or to people you care about, typically at the very end, you save the best for last, right? So these are Paul's last words. And he's writing. And he's talking to a coworker. And he says, make every effort to come to me soon. He's in prison, and he knows he's going to die. So he's like, come and visit me. Because Demas has deserted me since he has loved this present world and has gone to Thessalonica. So this was a former coworker who departed. Again, I've been talking about this all morning, right? Here's, here it is. Someone that I loved and cared about has left me. Who I thought was with me, I thought I had my back, they're gone. Because of distraction. Because of having divided loyalties. He's gone. Crescens, I don't know how to pronounce that, whatever. He's gone. Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you, for he is useful to me in the ministry. Now, this is incredibly encouraging. If you were here in the last few weeks, I talked about Mark. Uh, and Mark, actually, there was a big split between Paul and Barnabas about Mark. About, because Mark had actually, he, he had departed at one point. And now Paul's saying, Paul had, had split with Barnabas because he's like, I don't trust Mark. Now, at the end of his life, he's like, I trust Mark, bring him to me. So there's crazy power for restoration in the gospel to even mend broken rifts in ministry in the church. So Paul's now saying, bring him to me. He's useful. Amazing. Mark has been restored beautifully. I have sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak I left in Troas with Carpus, as well as the scrolls, especially the apartments. He's probably cold in prison. It's dark. He needs, he needs some, some help and support. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. Okay, so again, <laughs> departures, damage, and also restoration, right? All of that. Do you guys see this? The Christian life is, is, it's complex. So if sometimes you feel like you're going a little crazy, you're in good company. Because that makes me a little crazy, just reading that, those last four verses, okay? Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will pay him according to his works. Could you imagine if the apostle said that about you or me? The Lord would pay you according to It's like, no, please don't. Please show me mercy. Uh, watch out for, for him because he strongly opposed us. Just intense. But here's the beautiful part. Get this. Let's go to the next uh, two, three verses. 2 Timothy 4, verses 16 to 18. There is great hope. At my first defense, no one stood by me, but everyone deserted me. Who got deserted? Jesus. Okay. So do you see that the life, Jesus told the disciples, what I do, you do. My life will be reproduced in you. It's being reproduced in Paul. Everyone deserted me. May it not be counted against them. So now it's no longer, may the, joy, may the Lord repay you according to, to your works. Now it's like, could you have mercy on them? God. But the Lord stood with me. Here's the, here's the really good news. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that I might fully preach the word. What, did we, what were the three things that we said marked the life of a disciple? Drawing near to Jesus, declaring and demonstrating. Here he is doing that stuff. And what does it say? The Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that I might do the work he's called me to do. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Here's the big idea for this morning. Devotion delivers us from danger. 
Not ours, but his. Jesus' devotion. Please stand. I'm going to call the band up. There's so much more that I want to say, but I'm outside of time, so I'm not going to say it. Oh, for sure. Devotion delivers us from danger. Not ours, but his. His devotion. The reason I'm here right now and I'll summarize this quickly. Um, way back in 1985, there was a video of my dad talking. And it's in Puerto Rico, it's all in Spanish, but my dad is talking, and he's talking about California. Uh, he's actually talking about Anaheim. And he's, again, I, I'm not living there. I wasn't born here. I moved here. And he's talking about California. And I was watching this video, it's of my first birthday, and it was like God was winking at me. Like, this was always in the works for you, pal. My dad was literally talking about the angels. I'm wearing an angel's hat today. That was not part of the plan, but that's nine times out of ten. That's what I'm wearing. Why do I bring this up? For those of you guys that don't know, in the 1970s and 60s, there was this great move of God in California that's now called the Jesus People Movement. Uh, how many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Okay, fair, fair number of you. Of all the places in the world that God could bring me, he brought me to Orange County. He brought me to, about 20 years after the Jesus People Movement, he brought me to Southern California, which is a huge part of the history of this movement. Uh, Historians think that this could ultimately, eventually be called sort of like the, 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 the last great awakening. Maybe not the last one, but literally the last from our time now. It had that kind of an impact. Why am I, why am I telling you this? As I've gotten older, I've gone back into church history and I've learned I'm learning everything that I can about how God worked in this place because this is where I became a Christian. And I became a Christian, keep this really short, I was at the Rock Church in San Diego. The Rock Church in San Diego was led by Miles McPherson, who came out of Horizon Church in San Diego, which was led by Mike McIntosh, who became a Christian during the Jesus People Movement. I came out of the Rock Church, and that's actually where uh, many people who are now part of the Restored Family of Churches ultimately started there. We started there together. What's, what's my point in saying this? Um, if, you, if you know anything about the Jesus People Movement, what marked it was people whose lives were devoted to God. Yeah. Uh, I literally was reading a book about it this week, and one of the quotes that just stuck with me all week is, our lives were offered to him. And as people offered their lives to God, do you know what happened? Salvation. Sometimes in the thousands, like thousands of people, a great awakening literally took place right here in Southern California, and up the coast of California. Why am I saying this stuff? As we give ourselves over to being priests who offer our lives to God, discipleship will happen. Jesus will deliver us from every danger And then you'll have people like me who knew nothing about God, who moved to a place that seems random, and then you encounter God through people who were saved because people were devoted to God. Do you see what I'm talking about? Devotion, it leads to deliverance for others. That's what discipleship ultimately culminates on. But the good news is that the devotion that delivers us from danger is not ours, it's his. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to call Tom up to, to wrap, this, wrap this up. 
But Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you that you're working. You're working around this whole room. And the call to discipleship, the call to follow you, it's ultimately a call to draw near to you, to declare you, and to demonstrate you, and to hold on to you through all the danger until you deliver us from it, until you rescue us from it. And the end result of that is that many people will come to know you. So I pray that as a church community that we'd be able to say, along with our brothers and sisters who went before us, back in the 60s and 70s, back 2,000 years ago, our lives were offered to him. And that would lead to so much fruit that we couldn't even imagine. I thank you, though, that it starts with each individual person seeing Jesus and his devotion and grabbing hold of him for dear life. Amidst the ups and the downs, which is an adventure, which is a daring life, And I thank you for this daring call to discipleship. We love you. In your name, amen.